Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. For all my pop punk lovers out there, I am really excited. We've got a nice treat for you guys. Today, I'm speaking with one of my all-time favorite vocalists from one of my favorite bands, Mr. Adam Lowerback from the band Homegrown. Homegrown was a pop punk band that formed in 1994 in Orange County, California. They put out some really great genre-defining records in my mind. Adam is releasing a new solo record. We talk a lot about that and the manifestation for that, the creativity behind that, as well as what inspired the material and what inspired wanting to make a new record. The single is out now. If you search it on Spotify, search Radical Radical and then the word Misfit because the song is called Misfit Toys and it should pull right up. That's the name of the single, Misfit Toys. It's fantastic. I've been listening to it on repeat. I can't wait to hear the rest of the record. Adam and I talk about a lot of things. It was just a really life-giving conversation and I'm very grateful that he took the time to chat with me a little bit and I hope you guys enjoy it. I want to mention too that Adam on other podcasts has mentioned that there is a possibility for a homegrown reunion in the future. So that's really exciting. I did not ask him about that. We talked about a lot of other things, but that's very exciting. And if you check out some of the other interviews that he's done lately, you'll hear him talk about that. So without further ado, my wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Adam Lowerback from Homegrown and Radical Radical. I know what you No worries, dude. How are you? I'm great, man. It's good to connect. Yeah, dude. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this on a, a Sunday evening. I know you're a dad of, you have three boys? I got three boys, yeah. Is my audio okay just on the... Uh... Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. It's funny because I started doing this podcast like four months ago and that's how I did them all originally just through my phone and it sounded good. I throw it in on Audacity and... Yeah, it's kind of kind of normal. I can tweak it a little bit. Yeah. How are you feeling tonight, man? <coughs> I'm good. I just tried something went down the wrong pipe, but <laughs> I love when that happens. Yeah. Is that the space where you have been recording and all of your Instagram stories yeah. and stuff? Cool. Yeah. Is that yeah, your house or is that somewhere separate? No, it's in my office. It's at work. I just kind of, cause I do a lot of music. So it's all like everything's sort of converted to do studio work and then I can come in off hours and, you know, do my own stuff or whatever. Red. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah. I always wondered, I've been watching you document the process of working on your solo record for the last year. And 
and I'm always wondering, is that part of his house or is that where he works? <laughs> or I thought maybe you were co-oping a studio space or something, like you were sharing it with somebody. Yeah, no, this is all mine. I mean, I have some friends who sometimes they'll, if I'm not using it, they'll ask, can I come in? And I'm like, yeah, of course, come on, come on and use it. And they'll just record some stuff. They got their own, you know, hard drives and things. They can just sort of pop in and out if they want to. Brad, man. But, yeah, I see you yeah. got it soundproofed and everything. That's awesome. It sounds, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty good. I'd say the low end though is still kind of, it's still difficult. Yeah. You kind of have to, you have, you mix to your room, right? You like learn sure. with my room. I learn, oh, there's a lot of buildup in the lower. So I just, I have to mix the bass hotter and then go out knowing, I know it's not perfect, but when I get out to my car, it's probably going to sound okay. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, for sure. Do you still mix in your car? Is that like the test? Everything. Or, or do you test the lot. mix out in the car? So I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on the on the car mixes, but I have like uh I have three different speakers that I A B between. So I have nicer computer ones for that just raw, really bad sound mm -hmm. to know how it's gonna sound on like computers and that type of stuff. And then I got sort of mid-range ones and I got more low endy speakers and then I got a subwoofer. So I can kind of just, you know, what I'm mixing on in the mix, I just sort of reference between different speakers and then and then make sure it sounds good on all of them that's so. awesome dude okay yeah. cool dude thanks again for agreeing to do this this is kind of a thrill for me i've been a fan of homegrown for geez a long time i'm kind of dating myself a little bit but date yourself how old are you man <laughs> i'm 37 i just turned 37 oh you look young so, bro good for thanks, you thanks man it's yeah. that rock and roll lifestyle, man. Keeps you young, right? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's the opposite, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was just telling my fiance, I live in Lawrence, Kansas, and yeah. I'm, I'm from Kansas City. And I think one of the first big stacked bills that I ever got a chance to see, you know, early on kind of growing up, when I first started listening to pop punk, punk rock, I saw you guys, MXPX and Blink-182 here in Lawrence, because Lawrence is about 45 minutes from Kansas City. And yeah, it was 1998, I believe. It was two weeks before Actor Age came out, because I remember me and my friends, we were yeah. stoked, because you guys were selling oh them that night. Dude, that's incredible. I love, wow, that's really early. You're in, you're in early on, man. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's crazy because I was literally, I played in bands and stuff. That's one of the reasons I started this, just because I love talking to my friends about music and yeah. it's a good opportunity to catch up with old friends and things. And a lot of my friends, I was lucky because they were all buying the compilation CDs and we were just discovering bands left and right. And yeah. I have specific memories of sitting on my best friend's floor and we were listening to bands like Melancholin and Face to Face and Lagwag yeah. and Written Law and somebody had a copy of that's business because i remember my friend showing me your music and we loved it it was just it was like a staple and i think my friend saw you guys play at war tour and once we see a band live that kind of solidified our love for the band and then every time they came through we would go see them play and stuff but i remember you guys were selling act your age premature you guys were selling it even though it hadn't been officially released yet released yeah 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 that's yeah, awesome soaked up that album that summer i mean i was just listening to actor age a whole bunch and it subsequently really influenced band that i was in a couple years later but yeah so questions yeah man so <laughs> i've been listening to a couple of podcast interviews that you had done previously growing up punk and high school never ends and i thought it was really cool you were mentioning that you really connected to music like operation ivy and the early fat records. It sounds like you were really into propaganda wagon, no effects and that stuff. And yep. the early Green Day stuff too. So that makes perfect sense for how homegrown sounded the yep. influences. Like it makes sense that that's where you guys it. For me, I was kind of blending all those things together at the same time, but it makes total sense. You listen to a band like Operation Ivy and 
the pop sensibilities of Green Day. That makes sense that that would then turn into homegrown. But I was going to ask you, I mean, you grew up in the 80s. Do you remember listening to music in the 80s? What were some of the bands that your parents listened to? So that's the funny thing is my family, oh, I, my brother played a little bit of violin. Aside from that, there really was no musicality in the family. Music was was secondary. Music was a, it was a, it was just background noise. It was top 40 or oldies. And it was just kind of on in the background, but there was never any attention paid to it. I mean, th wow. that's, my parents will say that too. It's like, well, you came out with the music, you know, it's, it's <laughs> because it wasn't inherent in our family. It wasn't like, oh, my dad shredded on guitar. And, you know, so he, I picked up the guitars around the house or something. There was, there was nothing. It was like, oh, play a little bit. I like to play a little trumpet, you know, in junior high. So I kind of learned that a little bit. I still have it. That's like right. it just kind of flirted with the music a little bit, but it wasn't like you mentioned about like Op IV and Green Day and all that stuff. It's when I started hearing music that was totally off the grid stuff I hadn't heard just in the background on the radio and when I started learning guitar a little bit those type of bands they're accessible right it was like yeah I got a power chord I got a really terrible amp I mean I had a speaker in my first guitar you know it's like yeah and it didn't work but you could actually play along with these type of riffs and figure it out like right with our moving things we know now we talk about pretty easily right like oh you know you go oh it's one four five six blah 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 we talk the different chord structures so back then it was just move your power chord here to here to here and yeah oh, that's cool i can play along with them you know yeah um, yeah i like that word you used accessible that's kind of how i felt when i heard green day because i started guitar when i was about nine so I, I started playing metallica's black album you know you're learning all those riffs and stuff oh that, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah but it almost yeah. felt larger than life you know it wasn't until i heard basket case and you hear the palm muting guitars and you're thinking I could do that I could write a song like that it just felt accessible it felt doable yep. um did you originally ask for a guitar were you just drawn to an instrument or, or you said you played trumpet I, did you ask your parents if they would help you get an instrument is that how you started playing yeah I it, it's a little bit foggy I don't remember if I asked them or if I just I think I got it like it second like at a garage sale or something like that it's <laughs> foggy but it was i can't tell you why i wanted a guitar it still doesn't make sense to me because i didn't have anyone really around me playing like i was starting to listen to a little bit of music but it, this is like when i was around like oh i'd say like 15 years old 14 15 somewhere around then and so i just somehow just a bug got in me go yeah i think i should play guitar or whatever and there might be a, maybe some of it i don't want to like overanalyze like my childhood in this sense but like there might have been a sense of i like doing things that were by myself that were alone because I was pretty introverted pretty shy kid and um and so playing guitar was in my bedroom by myself and I didn't have to be like on a team and feel challenged or be afraid to disappoint anybody it was just kind of like I'm here by myself I challenge myself I grow at the rate I want to and it's low stress you know yeah and so when I did absolutely. get it it was like it was every day you know it was like I come home from school and it's like literally four hours a day once I got it same as you Metallica yeah. stuff whatever's in guitar world or guitar you know magazine <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to follow the tabs you know dude I haven't thought of guitar world in a minute yeah I remember I used to take the covers off and literally just plaster them on my wall when I was on your kid. wall yeah, that's yeah. awesome yeah, dude, yeah. I loved Guitar World. That was always great too, because they would put the simple tabs in there so you could learn the riffs and everything. Yeah. Did you take lessons? No, I never took lessons. Okay, so self-taught. And you started with guitar, right? And then- Started with guitar, yeah. Okay, and then was bass just out of necessity to play yeah. with the bands or? Yep, yeah. <laughs> like getting involved with Homegrown, that was, you know, they needed a bass player one night and their bass player wasn't there. And so I, you know, 
John had asked me if I could play bass that night. And I was like, I don't play bass. And then he said, oh, it's the same as guitar. You know, it's just four strings and they're bigger. It's easy. And I was like, uh, okay. And <laughs> taught me the bass. And then I played. And then from there, they invited me to keep playing. And then, you know, it just sort of became, you know, homegrown in the early days. But okay. yeah, it was not a necessity. But I will tell you, I like on the, the new stuff that I'm doing, I played all the instruments on it. And when we're shooting the music video, I'm playing like the guitar and I'm playing the bass and stuff. And even the director said, he's like, he's oh man, I can tell you look way more comfortable on a bass. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I was like, yeah, man. And that's just, you know, you just have been playing it for so long. It just sure. feels very second nature, you know, live to be able to actually be entertaining. Guitars yeah. are just less grace, you know, like you miss notes. You gotta hit so many more strings. But it's all over. Yeah. All but over. at the same yeah. time, the bass, you know, just keeps that part of that rhythm section. So if you hit the wrong bass note, that can be sort it, of a you're, disaster yeah. sometimes. <laughs> That's the, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I agree with that. But it's easier to a guitar, you know, you're, you got the palm eating techniques. You got to hit like the B and the E string without hitting the other strings while you're swinging around your guitar bass is just lay that finger on mute the other strings with all the other ones and just just go as fast as you can to the other hand you know there's a little bit more for me it feels a little bit like there's you can get into less trouble yeah for sure yeah you just ride those notes those root notes yeah. now that i think about it you actually used to switch instruments i think there was a couple songs that you played guitar on was it surfer girl back yeah, in the day girl was one. yeah okay that was cool and that was just to make a show you know just to try and be more entertaining yeah and Secretly, I still kind of wanted to play guitar, but I knew it wasn't what I needed to be playing. But okay. that's always what I wrote songs on. That, that's what I was always familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was fun to just sort of switch it up and, you know, a little bit of the off. Oh, they can switch instruments. You know, it's, you know, it's yeah. like, like, oh, it's like, uh, I'm forgetting his name. It's Sean from Yellow Card. You know, he could do backflips off the off the amp. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know, cool. You know, yeah. it's part of the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was entertaining for sure. I still remember the first time I saw Sean do a backflip. That was insane. Oh, yeah. I'd that was actually here in Lawrence as well. Oh, nice. So you guys formed in the mid 90s. Great time. Yeah. Mid 90s. Weird time. Mid but <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> Did you guys want to get signed to Epitaph? Was that the goal? Or uh, did you guys have a lineup in one of your songs? You guys really wanted to get signed to Epitaph or everybody wants to get signed to Epitaph? Yeah, because they had all the big bands. And like at that time, it was that would be like the it, at that point, it was like, oh, that that's the unreachable dream type thing. Right. It's the and I'll get signed up to half. I'm, you know, the pinnacle, it's a little bit, a little bit of fun, like humor in it or whatever, too. But essentially, it's like, yeah, that'll never happen. But that'd be great. <laughs> You know, all of our, the bands were 11 were coming up on Epitaph, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And Fat Records, yeah. those were like all yeah. the rage as far as independent music went mid to late 90s. Very influential. But yeah, so I was going to ask you, I mean, you guys were teenagers when That's Business was written and recorded, right? Were you like 16, 17 years old? No, I wish. We, we're we old dogs, man. We, we started, I think that was like when I was about like 20. 2021, I think is around kind of that age, okay. like early, early 20s. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then act your yeah. age a couple of years later. So you were still really young. You guys were 22, 23. Yeah, um, there's about a three year gap there from that's business to, or maybe two and a half years, roughly. But I know a lot of people probably ask you about Kings of Pop, and I'm definitely going to ask you about Kings of Pop. Kings of Pop is, you, you know. <laughs> okay, cool. Rad. I appreciate it. I um, love to take it back to the old school stuff. So that's fun. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, dude, that's the thing. I've talked to several of my friends lately, and they've been asking me, how did you know about all these bands? And I think I was fortunate to be immersed in a collective of people who were just 
really into discovering lots of bands. We were buying lots of compilation records that always helped. First time I went to Warped Tour was in 1998. So I was 14 years old, pretty young, but we were just discovering bands left and right. And we just couldn't get enough. We'd find a band and we'd really latch on and we'd go through their entire catalog and we'd get stoked whenever they would put something out. But I remember thinking it was a big step up from that's business to act your age. And you guys got signed to a major label. It was a subsidiary of a major label, right? Outpost Recordings. Uh, What was that recording like? Was that a little daunting it was probably a bigger budget i would imagine and oh yeah you guys were working with a really big producer cliff norell yeah the record still sounds great it still holds up still sounds sonically amazing what was that like around that time period honestly i mean that was really exciting because at that point in the whatever that pop punk genre you know that whole genre that world there was of course the people who would hate on actually when you moved up to the higher level right yeah and, and, you know, it's funny and, and, you know, I digress for a second, but in retrospect, I understand why, because so much of our, like we gained so much of our identity in that scene and to actually to hand it off or to lose it to the masses in a sense, when it was so like formative and like emotionally, you know, connection formation, all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so emotionally tied to it, right. More than we could have ever, you know, even been aware of at the time as kids, you know, like as teenagers, young twenties and stuff. So I understand that, but that was kind of the way it went. It was like, get enough attention, get enough of a touring base, right. Where major labels would go, okay, I I can look at your sound scan. I can see how much you're selling. I can see how many tickets you're selling. You seem like a good investment. seems like the right time to do it. And so you move to the majors and that was kind of a natural progression for like indie artists at the time. Sure. So we got signed and we were, I mean, we were elated. The founders of the label at the time were excited about what we're doing. They all had, you know, history with like management, with like Smashing Pumpkins and, and you know, all these different artists that they've sort of been with in the smaller times and brought to the surface and, and shot them up to the top. So for us, it was just, it was, ah, oh, what could happen? You know, are we going to have, are we going to have radio singles? Are we going to, you know, it's almost like a sky's the limit type thing. And, and you're right. I mean, our budget for recording was fantastic. I can't remember exactly what it was, but if I had to guess, it was probably like 80 or hundred grand or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's a little bigger than today. Oh gosh. And you can <laughs> sounds now in your in your bedroom, right? It's like yeah. but back then everything's real to real, right? It's taped. So you have, I mean, the cost barrier to actually get into studios to get the quality sound that you need to compete at that level. You had to go into the studios that were at least five or six hundred dollars a day, if not like we're in studios like Ocean Way and stuff. I mean, you're paying twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars a day. And that's wow. not including cost of the engineer, you know, cost of assistance and all those type of things. So yeah. So you recorded after your age to tape? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. tape was expensive too, right? Tape was an expensive tape thing. A, yeah, expensive thing. Yeah. And that, and then that was a pretty famous studio in LA too. And so, but it's great. I mean, the experience is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I can tell, I mean, obviously the, as the story goes right shortly after the label gets, you know, merges with another label, gets bought out, we get caught in the shuffle. It doesn't really get released properly. We lose all to source support. We lose all funding, everything. It completely shuts off. And then we just decide to hit the road for a couple of years to survive, right? And sort of do it on our own. Yeah. But before then, it was fantastic, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. I bet it was yeah. an exciting time for sure. It's so yeah, crazy well, too. Because within my group of friends, that record is such, it's a classic. It's one of those records that we still talk about and we still romanticize. I mean, I know it was like a, it makes sense, right? It's time and place thing for us, but it's kind of tragic to think that the major label machine decided to 
stop. It all just stopped the second you guys were about to put the record out. I'm surprised hearing about the labels folding in to each other into yeah. separate entities. They're all kind of merging together in the late yeah. 90s because I remember that happening so much in the early 2000s when streaming really became a thing. And it seemed like that was the reason for that. So I'm surprised to hear about these major labels that were still selling records, still selling millions of records. Yeah. Because I remember going and buying CDs in the late 90s. And sure. Yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of money to be made for even mid-level and up as far as the bands go. You know, they were still making a ton of money. Yeah. But I think it probably speaks more to the tenacity of you guys and just the the work ethic that you guys had to then go tour a ton to sell that record. Yeah. Just even without the push of the major label, that record still had legs. It still found its audience. You just spoke with a friend of mine. He's actually three hours north of me, Mikey from JBL Stars. Oh, Mikey Elfer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my yeah. old band used to play with him all the time. I've known him for a long time. He's great. But yeah. he's such a huge fan of Homegrown. He's such a huge fan of Actor Age. We would go to different places and they would say things like, oh, you guys remind us of Homegrown and you know, you just sort of bond over music and stuff. But it's just crazy to think that they, for whatever reason, the label folded and then they just stopped pushing it. Yeah. And you know, it's crazy is we have a local station called K-Rock and it was like the station in LA. And when you got on that station, it was kind of where you started to get all over. And they picked up Surfer Girl because the whole, you know, with Sublime and sort of the timing of things, it was like a yeah. big deal. And it started getting some near regular rotation. And our record sales started shoot like way up and we're like, oh, you know, almost like, it, oh, it's yeah. starting to happen. The thing, yeah. you know, sure. And then they found out that our label collapsed and the funding was over and they weren't going to be supporting the record anymore. And so the radio station just dropped it. Oh, I'm disgusted with that. And it's like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, Adam. That really that, that hurts my heart because I mean, that is such a great single, especially for that late 90s pop rock sound. And it just had that it had that beach vibe. I mean, it's yeah. it's literally about the beach. So it should have been huge. And it was huge in my circle of friends. It was a, an important song and an important album. It's just unfortunate, I think, for a lot of bands around that time period that are just such defining bands of that time to not really get the proper push. But I think that's it's slightly like hitting the lottery. I know timing is a big part of it. And yeah, it's yeah, crazy that K-Rock, K-Rock kind of has an effect, right? K-Rock starts playing it and then they put stuff in a regular rotation then other alternative Dominic. radio stations, yeah, will follow suit. So yeah. I'm just amazed it didn't get picked up by many other places. But I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> Man, it's, that's business. <laughs> yeah, kind of is what it is, yeah. right? And then I wanted to kind of talk about the time period between Act Your Age and Kings of Pop because Act Your Age came out in 1998 and then you guys put out Kings of Pop summer of 2002, right? But you guys were putting out EPs in between. So can you yeah. tell me a little bit about what was that time like? And were you guys dying to get back into the studio? Were you guys demoing a whole lot around that? I know you guys had some lineup changes and things like that. Ian left yeah. and then Bob had some health problems. He had a major surgery, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with his brain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you still talk to him? Is he? I talked to his sister on Instagram. I talked to his good friend, Kevin, and I kind of check in every once in a while, but you know, he's okay. He's, you know, he's okay. doing all right. He's a little bit more to himself, but as far as I understand, he's, you know, he's okay. Okay, good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I was just happy. I didn't really know the whole situation, but I, did he have a brain tumor? Is that what it was? And then he recovered shortly after that or? And and he had some, I'm trying to remember exactly that. It sounds sad that I can't remember that, but it's something with his brain and that he, yeah, he needed to get work on. And then it had some, like some lingering you know, social effects or different things like that, that he kind of had to weather through after the surgery. And so okay. it was, it was oh, just wow. too much, you know, even in post, it was just too much to, after all of that, 
to go through all that and then to sort of just jump back into I'm on stage and sure you know, people everywhere and all the you know that's the craziness of travel and the scheduling of travel you know and through all the recovery of what he's doing is just is kind of like we we had to move on you know it was yeah and he had and it, it was sure. something he understood it wasn't like you know, it was a decision that's made on both ends, whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy hectic going on tour. You guys were playing 200 shows a year, 200 plus shows a year. I can imagine that's, yeah, that's a lot to jump right back into. Right. Yeah. But what was that time period? Like you guys got signed to drive through, I think around 2000, 2001. Yeah. What was it like around that time period? Were you guys a three piece at one point? It was you, we John were, and Darren. Three, yeah. We're a three piece at one point. Was it me, John, and Darren, or was it Justin? Oh, Justin Poiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I'm getting old, man. It's foggy. I mean, <laughs> there wasn't that many member changes, but I'm trying. It's foggy on me when they came or when they came and left, and when we we're a three piece. I feel like, yeah, was it was it Darren? Darren, Darren came after Justin. Okay, because Darren, Darren did the Kings of Pop record, mm-hmm. and he and, was in Longfellow, and I remember Longfellow. Yep, Longfellow, great band, and um, I can't remember. It was a very short season with a three piece. Like we were able to pull it off, but we write as the two electric guitar part writing that's both john and i when we bring songs to the table there was always this guitar does this and this guitar does that you know so uh, when you're trying to do that live and sort of create all that space and trying to be a little bit more dynamic on bass and then choosing how to do you know to do the lead line here or the rhythm how does that hit it's like with our sound kind of works but it also kind of falls short and so yeah, that's yeah. why we had to, we had to fill it we had to, we had to get another member to, to fill that in for that full sound for sure but, absolutely that was one of the things that i really loved about homegrown the guitar harmonies and you guys did a lot of octaves and the thing i love about act your age is you guys had a lot of really cool catchy lead lines it was almost like the lead line was a melody in and of itself i still hum random actor age lead lines <laughs> sometimes i think it's bad news blair yeah. uh, there's a guitar line in that that i'm still humming to this day i just always find myself humming that part you kind of answered the question i thought maybe you guys for whatever reason i thought maybe you guys recorded kings of pop as a three-piece and then you added another guitar player but it sounds like you guys did that beforehand i'm pretty sure we did it beforehand yeah Forgive me, Darren, if, or not Darren, but Dan, if I can't, I just can't remember the order of things. I'm, I'm a little foggy right now. You might are, and I could tell you, but I, I would <laughs> to speak to that time is so. And after Actor Age and those EPs was kind of like a like a dark ages sort of moment for us because we we're stuck in limbo on this contract with the label that was still undecided what they're going to do with us along with tons of other bands. So they're really just sort of picking out, okay, this one sold a million or a half a million or whatever. And the rest is sort of shelved and we'll think about that later. And so we had our lawyer and our manager, you know, working hard to get us out just to bring our album to the table to get us out of a contract, right? Like we just want out of this contract. You're not doing anything with us. And so that was years and years of battling to finally get out. And so when we get out, it's like, well, we've been touring actor age for a couple of years and you can make a couple loops but then mm-hmm. you'll kind of you'll atrophy your connections and fan base like well we we've seen these songs you know and then we can play a couple new ones and it's like well cool i want it and i don't want to see you play it again and i don't get to have it you know what i mean it's like for sure so that started doing you know like we need eps we need to we need to keep having content so that we can keep getting back on tour and you know sort of supporting yeah. homegrown yeah it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of work it was fun, fun. i mean wrong fun but it was a lot of work I can only imagine. And for being so young, it was probably frustrating too. I've heard that from a lot of bands around that time, trying to get out of contracts and things. And those contracts can be really a problem and stiff, but yep. I, oh, yeah. I'd, love, I'd love to see those EPs get put up on Spotify at some point. That would be rad. So it's funny you say that because now that I've been getting kind of more involved with a sort of 
pop punk and, you know, making connections online and stuff. I didn't realize how much of our catalog is not around the world. I've had uh, quite a few people say like, man, I wish I had Kings of Pop here where I live. You know, it's like in South America or something like that. Like, so, and then a lot of the catalog, like After Age is, is hardly anywhere in the world. And there's, yeah, EPs are kind of non-existent around the world. So it's our catalog, like on Spotify and stuff is actually really small. It looks a little bit bigger in the States, like a couple more things, mm -hmm. but generally speaking worldwide, I didn't know this. I just, I just, now I'm starting to learn by, because people are telling me, I'm like, oh, our catalog is actually pretty small mm -hmm. or it's very, as, as represented online. You know, there's not much access yeah. to which is a bummer. You know what I mean? I want everyone to hear it, obviously, but there's, it's, we're just, you can't really find homegrown very easily around the world. So yeah. did you guys, did you set up the Spotify page or was that somebody else? No, it wasn't me. Really? It wasn't me. Uh -uh. I would think you'd be able to get access to that somehow, you know, cause I, the last couple of years, I went ahead and just threw up everything my band ever did. I just threw all up on Spotify because people kept asking me if I could send them the files or send them a CD or something. And it was easier for me to just put it up on Spotify. Yeah. It's probably something I probably need to look into, honestly. Maybe I'll like DM or text John or something and ask him if he knows anything about it. Cause it'd be cool to have it more accessible to people. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, just if nothing else, yeah. those songs are so good. The songs on the connection EP and EP phone home. I love those songs. They're on YouTube. So that's cool. Yeah, they're on YouTube. I mean, you can find them if you go digging, but if, yeah. Yeah. I actually just found, it's funny. I just rediscovered the masters for the connection EP, which I was very happy about. And so it's, you know, it's very high fidelity files. And I don't know that I would ever get permission from Limbeck to put out the songs or to put out the connection thing, but because their sound is just so different now. <laughs> and I, that's true. I want that sound representing them, but I would, I would like to get those homegrown songs out. I'll have to maybe talk to the guys and figure out a clever way just to get them up as like a double, double single or something like that. And just, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I bet they'd be cool with it. You know, we all have those old songs that, <laughs> but you know, maybe like, I, I, it's, it's worth it ask, but I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. You never know. But yeah, I love those homegrown tunes and I usually go to YouTube if I want to find them. Cool, man. Well, okay. So I want to preface this. I love the production of Kings of Pop. I still listen to that record all the time. I'm a personal trainer. I have a little personal training space and nice. you know, I'm playing my own music in there all the time. It's just literally my Spotify account and a Bluetooth speaker. So it's a minimal setup and I love it. We play Kings of Pop a lot and reminisce. I love <laughs> Steve's production, Steve Ebbets. Oh yeah. I sometimes will wonder what it would have sounded like with maybe a different producer because you had a lot of bands that were recording with certain producers in the early 2000s drive-through scene, right? Yep. So this is really just for my own curiosity. Were you guys ever talking to other producers about potentially doing the record or did you guys choose Steve? I think we had, well, Steve was way high, way high up. The only other producer I can think of that we're thinking at the time was Ken Andrews oh, of, cool. the, of Failure. And yeah. we really liked the raw of his recording style and Steve and both of them are sort of kindred in that that they there was a certain rawness to it things weren't perfect but in a perfect way you know yeah and so I know that the, at least the two of them were on our list for man it'd be great to work with these guys and uh obviously cool. I mean I don't I can't remember how it all shook out or how we chose whatever but you know Steve was he was clearly the guy for the, for the job, man. He, yeah. he's, he gets it. You know what I mean? He just gets the sound. He's one of those guys. We want to do this and I want to sound like this and he'll just like this. Uh, yeah, cool. So he, <laughs> he keeps the creativity moving, you know? Yeah. And you know, on Kings of Pop, the auto tuner was, you know, really kind of coming in at that point. And man, Steve just busts our chops, man. He's all, you don't need an auto tuner. Why do you need that? Just get a good performance. <laughs> and we're like, Oh man, you know, we're all exhausted. We're just like, our vocals are hoarse and stuff. And he's like, 
no, 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 you got a better take in you. And so he made sure that he's like, you're not doing any autotune on this record. I mean, it's, it's almost like we didn't have a say. He's, but what was cool about that is he's basically saying like, I believe in you. I believe that you have performance in you that you don't need it. And uh, that was at a time where it was like, everyone's starting to use it because it's, it's not as obvious anymore. It's more subtle and you can get away with more. Sure. You let us do it. So I'm very grateful now when I listen back, I'm like, that's cool. It's not perfect, but it's, it's what the performance needed, you know? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, it's got character. It's got yeah. that authenticity. Yeah. I mean, it still sounds pristine too. Everything sonically sounds great. The drums still sound great. The guitar tones sound awesome. All the harmonies are really great. That's incredible that you guys didn't use a ton of pitch shifting because that was really becoming popular. I think the first time I heard Enema of the State, my ears immediately heard it. And it was yeah. kind of jarring at first because hearing an album like Dude Ranch into Enema, there's a clear sonic difference. And I think the tuning of the vocals had a big part of that. I've either read interviews or heard Steve talk before where he says he doesn't like to use a ton of tricks in the studio. I think that's what he said. That's his quote. I don't like using tons of tricks. If we can capture something that they can then recreate live, that's what I'm into. So that's really yep. cool. Yeah, yeah he, that's his vibe for sure. He wants a great performance and he'll take the time to, he doesn't like to think in post. So mic it up the right way, get it the right position. You know, if you're getting a guitar sound, you got a couple mics on, he's constantly positioning re-listening re-listening to get it right instead of going well i'll just carve out that and post or whatever he's like yeah no, i get the sound i want now yeah and commit so yeah it's good it keeps the ball moving right because it's like now in home studios and stuff it's like paralysis I, i'm sure i experienced it to some degree i have to fight it but now you can constantly tweak and change right and it's a it's a blessing and a curse because you'll just sit there on things forever and you won't release them because it's never quite perfect you know right nothing yeah you just have to release something that's unfinished and you still love it and let it go, you know, but that's hard to do with the home studio when you don't have to. Yeah. No one's telling you to do it, you know? Yeah. And using an amp simulator that has literally infinite sounds, that can be really sure. daunting. <laughs> Clicking buttons for a different amp, you know, it's like, yeah. 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 I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes the constraints are good because it keeps you focused and it keeps you uh, in the present moment and things like that. Absolutely. So Kings of Pop comes out. And it does really, really well. That was a pivotal summer, I think, for pop rock, pop punk. drive Through Records was just banging all cylinders. My band was actually on the Warp Tour when the drive Through stage was a oh, thing. Oh, right on. What was it? Yeah, what was so it? we were called Game Time. Game Time. Nice. Yeah. Game Time. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. I remember cool. your band. That's yeah. funny. We, we were probably constantly just giving you our record. Please, please, <laughs> please listen to us. I would imagine that's... That's probably right, what it yeah. was. I'm going to go after this podcast. I'll, I'll go back and, and on the way home, I'll listen to it. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Put it up on Spotify. So there you go. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah. You will definitely hear us ripping Homegrown Off. So <laughs> <laughs> we played a lot of shows with Yellow Card. I actually booked their first show in Kansas City and Lawrence. And I think there was a couple of times where you guys came through or maybe you came through St. Louis and I drove out there and mm -hmm. I was probably hanging out with those dudes. But I don't think Game Time ever played with Homegrown, but we played a lot of shows in that ecosphere. But we were on Warp Tour yep. that year. We were on the Kevin Says stage in 2002. So we, yeah. we were unsigned. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, but it was just a phenomenal summer. That was a great year for Warp Tour in general. I mean, there was just so many great bands. Yep. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. fantastic. Fantastic. I'm sure that was fun, right? To be a part of the unification of this pop punk kingdom almost, you know, because you had the starting line put out their record that year. Finch put out their record that year. Yep. How was that time? Was it pretty exciting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just nice. Like I said, after the, all that time spent just sort of 
you know, working hard and putting out EPs and, you know, finally getting out of contract and just sort of trying to, you know, sort of survive and, and keep the fan base stoked. When we signed a drive through, it was just like, it's fresh, you know what I mean? And they got it in the scene. Like they, you know, like dashboard confessional, I know it's kind of one of their, you know, flagship sort of artists in the beginning that helped sort of get a lot of other things started, even funding a lot of other things and stuff like that. So all the bands are signing. We're just, I mean, starting line, incredible talent, Finch, incredible talent. There's, there's just a lot of great talent are expanded. I mean, the list oh, goes yeah. on is all on yeah. one label. Right. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And there's a lot of like friendships within the bands. Like we always took each other out and that was always highly encouraged by the label. Um, yeah. I don't know that they ever outright said you have to take them, but they were pretty like pretty stern about, Hey, you need to take out a band. Like, Hey, you need sure. to take out a release. You need to take them out. And it, you know, you're not really going to argue it. It's a good thing. You know, you were helped. You helped someone else, you know? Absolutely. Um, they were just leveraging the popularity that they had at the time. They'd sign a new band. I remember, I think Senses Fail was up and coming and they were opening a lot of those tours for a lot of those bands. They went on tour with Finch, I believe. And and then I think one of the last, maybe the last time I saw you guys play was on the actual drive through tour, maybe 2003 mm-hmm. or 2004. Yeah. That was cool too. The fact that you got this label that is in high demand, very popular. And they literally do their own organized tour, like the Tooth and Nail tour. Victory Records was doing the same thing too. Fat Records did it back in the late 90s. Remember like the Epitaph tour and Fat Records tour yeah. and things like that? And yep. it showcased right. new bands they would open. So yeah, that makes sense. Yep. It's more from a label perspective too. It is, it is. Yeah. And then you guys put out an EP in 2004, When It All Comes Down. That's the name, right? Yep. Hopefully not. Okay. When it all comes down. Got it. Awesome. I love that EP. And then can you tell me a little bit about that time? What was the transition like? Because I think you guys put out that EP in 2004 and I'm not sure if you toured on it very much, but then we did a little little bit. bit. Okay. And did you transition away from the band in 2005? Was it about a year later? No, I think it is in 2004. Okay. I think yeah, in 2004. Yeah. So do you mind telling me why that occurred or where was your head at around that time? What was... The driving force for transitioning away from the band. Yeah. So let's see. Long story shorter. So like you said, you know, we'd, we'd have like 200 plus shows a year. So we're gone all the time. And my girlfriend at the time before when it all comes down was written, like right kind of before that time, she'd broken up with me and I was devastated. And that's the lyrics. If you listen to, you know, that EP Mm-hmm. that that's written from a place of de- like just devastation right so you can imagine at that time i'm like usually pretty happy go lucky more just kind of hopeful things you know and at that point i'm like i'm i'm just toast and and so i couldn't write anything very hopeful i was just writing from where i was right so when you're gone a lot like that you need stability to come home to because a lot of your friends sort of they don't move on but they establish relationships at home right because you're gone 10 months out of the year so it's like you come back and there's, you need some anchor points, you know? Sure. And I, I lost my biggest one. I, I, at the time I felt like aside from my family, obviously, but so I just kind of went into tailspin, super depressed and, you know, just kind of losing like the zest for life and zeal to do things and even play and stuff. And I had, I had been a Christian probably when I was like 15 years old and going to church and stuff like that and sort of involved. And then when the band stuff went on, I kind of just did what, you know, did what bands do and just sort of went the way of the Buffalo and got caught up in all that. And when everything went crashing down, it was kind of like a reevaluation point in my life, almost like, okay, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. I'm, I'm not living the way I know that I should. Like I've compromised in so many ways that I feel like I've just sort of, 
you know, violated like who I am or who I want to be. And I'm getting older too. And I just felt like this, you know, this is time, you know, conversations. I mean, you know, it's, it might sound strange to some people, but like conversations with God, like, you know, he's just like saying, Hey, I feel like it's time for you to think it's time for you to be done, you know, and having to wrestle with that stuff. And cause that was my identity, right. Homegrown. So like, not only is it my paycheck, but it's kind of like who I am. Yeah. I'm a music. Like, what do I do if I don't play bass? I mean, I can tell you what I did after I didn't, as soon as I did that, I had to go do drywall. So it was like, it was like, did the dead part, you know, all these shows touring around the world, da, 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 scraping ceilings, you know, yeah. it's like, so it was pretty, you know, it was a, it was a hard stop. So it was a turning point. Yeah. Kind of a turning it was point for you. Sort of a pivot point for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's, it's, it's sad as it was, it was the right thing for me to do, but obviously pretty like melancholy in the sense that that really affected my, they're my friends, you know, and all the guys in the band, like, and it, when you're a band, your family, I disrupted their lives too. It's like in a band, when you make decisions like that, it, it it's not in a vacuum. Right. But you know, that, that is, that's the worst part. I feel like is that leaving them to sort of figure out what to do next. Yeah. You know, that sucks. Yeah. But it, ultimately you had to take care of you because yeah. you're your own person. And I completely understand that I've had to make significant choices and decisions like that in my life. So I get it for sure. And like you said, you felt like you had lost your anchor point. What happened after that? Did you, you said you guys broke up. Is that, yeah. are you together with her now? Or is We're that married? Yeah, that's your <laughs> wife. Okay. You could tell I was being trepidatious when I was asking that because I didn't no, want to be like, Hey, it's okay. It's a, that's <laughs> like, I'm like, how do I condense this? You know, without like, you know, putting everyone to sleep. It's like, it's a long story, you know, but you know, her coming back to faith even and like, and then me at the same time, she's already moved away to Hawaii. Then we start talking again and sort of like making a connection sort of on different grounds and kind of getting a fresh start because um, yeah. we need a fresh start. We, you know, we, it couldn't have just kept building upon the foundation that we had, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't something that would have lasted. So, I mean, hindsight, I'm not glad it happened, obviously for all the pain and stuff it caused, but I'm glad that it, in a sense, that it was a catalyst to get to where I am now, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that makes perfect sense for sure. It gives you good perspective. We never want those trials and tribulations to occur, but then looking back in hindsight, we think, okay, well, it it certainly taught me a lot. That was a big learning lesson for sure. And what's fascinating, I actually think this stuff is really fascinating. What you just that whole stanza of talking, I really enjoy listening about that because that's the real human stuff. And there is real human stuff in a band. And like you said, like it's a lot of personalities and it's like a marriage between four or five different people, all different personalities and egos and things. So um, (laughs) absolutely. what's fascinating is it seems like you're having a bit of a turning point now as well. And I definitely wanted to talk to you about you creating the solo record. And I'll be honest, I was kind of, I would periodically think, what's Adam from Homegrown up to? Is he doing music or anything? It's just kind of one of those things where you're just looking for new music. And I knew you were working at the church. Do you still work at the church in California? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you know, I learned that you were doing that. And to be honest, I didn't think we would ever get more Adam lower back music, but I'm thankful for that. It seems like this record, it's almost like you had to make it. You feel compelled to do so. (laughs) Just based on the messaging that you've been sharing on Instagram and Insta stories and everything, it seems like you were going through something very difficult and tumultuous in your life. And now it's helped you manifest this creation, this art that is the music. So can can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I'm 45. My birthday is March 7th. So happy early birthday. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be 46 soon. It's just but uh, anyway, 
Yeah. Dude, you, don't, you don't look 46, man. You d- <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I try and stay active so I, you know, I can stay healthy, but like, yeah, when I was about a little bit after I turned 40, I remember, I mean, when I turned 40, I went back to my old neighborhood in Santa Ana and I just walked around and just all the places I was as a kid, you know, where I skateboarded, where I went to school. And I was just a weepy mess. I was just, I was like, I was just crying. And, um, it's like weird. You, you kind of look back and you're like, wow, for like 40 years have passed, you know, and, and these, these memories feel so distant and at the same time, they still like resonate so deeply. And, uh, so I started getting like, a little bit more introspective, a little bit more curious about like what makes me, me mm-hmm. and started asking questions about like, Oh, why? like, I have, I have a lot of issues with conflict, right? Like I just run from it. I always have, it's, it's been difficult for me. And, um, I, I have trouble sort of expressing myself or having my own opinion. I, I'm, I'm more of someone who's like, if someone else has a good idea or something, I want to help them. I, I want to be like, dude, let's, let's get that going for you. Let's, let's do that. You know, like, that's always been my default and that's good. You know, it's, it's helpful, mm-hmm. but I think after, you know, kind of being now my middle ages and looking back, I'm like, wow, I made, I made a lot of decisions out of fear and I made a lot of decisions because I didn't want conflict. And if I was honest with myself, there's probably a lot of me that is afraid to actually be me and to sort of live out maybe some things I would have wanted to do. And so I got really sad about that. And, um, and I was like, wow, I'm just figuring this stuff out at 40. And so from like, you know, 40 and a half to like 41 and a half or so, I just, I just hit a dark place. I just, I was depressed. I'd wake up depressed. You know, I'd, I'd go to bed depressed. I wouldn't know how depressed I'd be if I wanted to leave the house or not leave the house. Like it was just, it was just dark. I just felt, I felt pretty hopeless. Honestly, I felt embarrassed that I was this old and figuring these things about myself, you know, like I felt like this is something I should have learned earlier and sort of overcome. So all those emotions just flooding in and just overwhelming me. And so, you know, like my wife being amazing and sticking with me and, you know, speaking hope into my life, you know, staying plugged in at at church with good relationships. I have good friends who wouldn't let me keep going dark, but sort of keep after me, Mm -hmm. you know, and just me, me not, I knew I was depressed, but I knew there had to be a way out. And so I had to keep asking the questions why to get down to the deepest roots of like who I was and to figure out who I wasn't and uproot that stuff so that I could be free. And it took, you know, it took like a year to actually get there to go like, ah, like I'm, I'm not depressed. Like I, I understand this. Like, you know, I mean, I, I understand kind of who I am or why I did. I can, I can look more kindly at myself. I don't have to be so angry at myself for what I did, like just understanding I didn't know, you know, all these type of things. You're just having moment after moment of epiphany and epiphany. And I was like, and then I just started writing tons of poetry. It was just like, that was, it was just therapy for me. You know, it's just like, it was so deep. I couldn't share. I, I didn't really want to share it with everybody. You know, some of those things are too close to you. You don't want to sure. just give all that away. I don't know. It just feels too sacred. And uh, so I just started writing it all. And then I don't, I don't know why, but I, I maybe in that, in looking back and just, there's also a fondness that I started to gain for the past instead of just the, you know, the, the loathing of some things. And I started looking back and just the pop punk times and just the creation of music and all that stuff. 
and, and I just thought, man, I wonder if any of these lyrics, like, and I started fitting the cadence and stuff with it. And I said, I'm going to start playing some music with it. And it was instantaneous. It was no work at all. It was like, bam, bam. I mean, like entire songs, all the production in my head being, some of them being written in like two, three minutes. I mean, wow. drums, bass, guitars, all, everything. I mean, everything, breakdowns, bridge, all of it. And some of them in minutes. And I'm like, this is fun. Like, yeah. you know, like I was, I was really enjoying it. And I was like, not only do I enjoy this, but I feel like there's a message within the lyrics that might be able to speak hope into some other people who might be going through some stuff and uh, might give them some language for the hurt they have or the, or the discoveries of themselves or that they even would need to discover things about themselves, you know, sort of open up that space in a healthy way. And so that's where that, I mean, that's radical, radical. That's kind of where it's at. And, and, and I have to say that it's not so heavy. I mean, it's a pop punk record. It's fun. It's happy. And some of it's more emo pop, I guess, too. Mm -hmm. But it's not so heavy handed in a sense. Like there's a sense of hopefulness in it. So you don't have to be going through, you know, you don't have to be in a terrible emotional car crash to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, It's it's accessible for for wherever you're at. But, but for specifically for people who need some help with that stuff, like I want to be available to them. Yeah. That's amazing. I like the fact that you mentioned that there's hopefulness in it. It almost sounds like you were going to therapy. I mean, the things that you were kind of describing, asking questions, being more introspective, reaching milestones, you know, and kind of revisiting the past. And I'm sure a lot of things were bubbling to the surface and things like that. You said yeah. writing was like therapy. Did you make a lot of discoveries in the writing? Was it free flow writing? Did you have a ritual where you were writing? It would just kind of switch. No, it's like spontaneous moments where I just kind of felt it. And like, I don't know, because I'm like, I'm in my 40s now, man. I like, I never cried so much in my life. <laughs> I'm like, some of them, like, I, 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 if I read them, I'll, I just start tearing up because they're so, because I know what it took to get those lyrics out. Like, it was, there's, it's my whole life mm -hmm. wrapped up in these lyrics. It's not just topical or something like that it's me and yeah. i and i i know the journey of pain that it took to like squeeze the drop of goodness out of that that hell yeah you know so uh, oftentimes like i i i'll read my own lyrics and and i just i just cry because it's just so overwhelming i i can't even imagine my first show i play mm -hmm. it's it, i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna make it through it man <laughs> uh, seriously i'll just be like like I'm going to have to have like three or four like practice shows of just like playing and, you know, in front of like family just so I can yes. get through it and just actually have a show, you know, I would imagine but, it'll be cathartic, right? There's going to be some level of catharsis at all of those shows. Yeah. No, I, I think that's amazing. It goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier. I forget who says it, but they're talking in terms of writing. If you're writing a book or something, write Because you have to write, you have to write it. It's this thing that is just like a spark in you and you just have to get it out. Yeah. That's what it sounds like for your record. This record, you had to make it. Yeah, had to. You yeah. know, there's a song I have that came out of a conversation I had with a younger guy I was, I was just like meeting with and kind of just mentoring a little bit. And he said, how do you, how do you write lyrics? Like I'm, I'm struggling with, how do you do it? And I was like, and it just came to me. I was like, I said, lead the rhyme. Don't let it lead you because too often you hear an artist, they just sort of let what's coming lead it because it makes sense, mm -hmm. but rather like lead it to the place it needs to be. Like basically have something to say. Yeah. Don't just feel like you need to say something, have something to say 
and lead those lyrics to where they need to go. And that's, I mean, that right, that's what connects with people. Sure that yeah. there's space for fun and party music. I mean, I love all that stuff too. We need, we need a good balance. It's okay to have fun. But if you're really trying to say something, you got to have something to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so many people are going to resonate with that too. I think what's cool too is you've grown up with the people that listen to your band. I think fans of Homegrown are going to listen to this and they're going to be able to connect with those lyrics. You know, many of them are the same age. So I think it will help them out a lot. I think it will be a guiding light for a lot of people. And that's why it's so nice to still be able to listen to music and connect to music. Even in later years, there's that, that old joke that you stop listening to new music when you're 30 or something, 33. I think that, that's the age where it's just like a cutoff. It's like you, you, you're no longer listening to new music. Yeah. But yeah, I can't wait to hear it. And you recorded all the instruments, including the drums. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Drums, drums were programmed. Okay, so, cool. But uh, I would be impressed if you can tell I, I worked really hard. Maybe I, if you're a strong musician, you could tell, but <laughs> I worked hard. You know, I won't tell anybody. I promise. Yeah. Did you guys ever tour with Rufio? Yeah. 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 Rufio? Okay, cool. I know uh, at least I still, like shows and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I still talk to Scott, the singer occasionally. And you should hit him up sometime. I feel like you guys would have a rad conversation, but he's just been putting out so much music lately. I don't know if you've been following him. He's put out four or five albums in the last year and a half, couple of years. Oh my goodness. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Really cool stuff. I think you would dig it. It's very akin to Rufio, fast skate punk with his vocals, very Rufio-esque, but he programs his drums and I'm showing all my friends. Nobody's ever mentioned it. But I think that yeah. helps him establish a workflow and he's able to get ideas out faster. I learned to program drums maybe six or seven years ago and I was having a lot of fun with it. I was doing it in Reason. And it was amazing how quickly I could create a skeleton of a song. Yep. Yep. I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, it's it, especially with the, because I mean, I don't have a bunch of money to spend on drums are usually like they're that big barrier, that big cost barrier. Yeah. Because really do it well, you got to have, you know, at least like 10 mics on the drums or in the capturing room sound reflections all of that stuff which means you need a, a good space acoustically treated space to do it well you need to rent that space you need to rent the engineer for that space and so yeah it's cool to have like real drums of course i mean everyone having the real stuff is always i think better in most cases but i can spend 300 bucks on a plug-in and really spend yeah. time on all the sticking and make sure it's accurate and the velocity of every hit and do all the tweaks I can to make it. And it's $300 every time I make a song, right? It's already paid for. Sure. I can go to the studio and that doesn't even include hiring a drummer to do it. If you don't have it, like I, you know, I have like Russell from New Year's day, the drummer yeah. from New Year's day, he's playing with me. He's actually, he's going to have a, a drum tutorial up of the first single coming out on March 5th or whatever for Misfit Toys. He promised he'd get it to me next week. So I can just for fun, have it up and he'll play live or whatever, but it's just too expensive. It's yeah. too much. And yeah, for workflow, if you have an idea, I can hit a piano and play drums real quick and overlay some guitars and decide if it works. And then two weeks later, change the drum beat if I want. And yeah, you know, you got stuff in the studio and you're like, oh, I wish I would have done a instead of it's like, well, here, I'll just change the note. It's great. Oh, yeah, dude. It's great. You're not going to offend me. I'm not a drummer. I was going to say too. Yeah. You definitely need a good drummer in there too. You need a good room, good drum kit. Somebody that knows what they're doing as far as recording it. And then a really badass drummer as well. Yep. Uh, usually get good and sounds so and everything. 
tune the drums, not even to mention that cost that you should have like a, a good professional tuner to really tune your drum. It's just, yeah, it's too expensive. That's a expensive. lot. Yeah. My fiance, she has two kids and we just bought one of them a guitar. Nice. Guitar. Yeah. <laughs> If they, if they don't latch onto the guitar and they want drums, we'll definitely have that conversation, but I'm just stoked. Drum well, see, that's what's cool. If, if they want to play drums, just hand them a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Much easier. Yeah, yeah, I like that. No, that's so cool. I can't wait to hear the record. Every time you post the clips, you'll post them. And I work late sometimes and I'll come home and I'll think to myself, I'm going to wait until tomorrow where I can listen with my good headphones, the clips that you've been playing, just oh, so I cool. can actually hear what, what's going on. So I'm definitely stoked to hear the record and just hear your voice. Your voice sounds incredible too. I feel like you've really come a long way as a singer because you were a great singer back in the day. I always felt as if you maybe even had perfect pitch. You were always on pitch, but there's just something about the way you sing today. It seems like you really know your voice well. There's a lot of dynamics. There's dynamic shifts. You've perfected singing softly but you also can sing high with a little bit of grit and it doesn't sound like yeah. it's shredding your vocal cords nice man thank you yeah i mean obviously and you know where, where i work too I'm, I'm singing all the time so or i'm helping people learn how to sing or i'm helping young teams learn how to play together and so it's like even though it hasn't been in this world everything i've been doing is like singing so my as far as like chops and stuff like that my yeah i've had a lot of time to sort of explore my vocals and keep them like you know keep them fresh yeah but I, I'm glad you noticed that. Thank you. I, of course, dude. That, I, there's a lot of that, like a lot of grit, like that little bit of that angst, like the controlled angst uh -huh. and, and a lot of sort of that like, like lower register. There's some falsetto on the record because, I, yeah, I feel like I have more control. And you need, it has to be like, especially with these lyrics and stuff, I can't, if they have to be emotively expressed, like I have to deliver them in a way that like, Again, it sounds so silly, but I'm, you know, I have my studio back here. I know you, you can see it. They won't, they won't see on the podcast, but like I, I do it all myself. So I'm hitting the, you know, the space bar and the control thing. And I run over and sing and I can hit and stop and sing, you know, getting my takes. And I'm like singing these words. And I mean, probably more than like 60 times, 70 times. I just, I have to stop because I'm weeping. I'm just, I'm, I'm an old man crying alone in my studio. <laughs> so it's like, like I had one song, I had one song, my, vo my vocals were shredded. Like you said, I was toast. And there's a song called explode already. And my vocals were shot. And I got to this song and my vocals sounded just rough and kind of awful and it worked. And so I just sang the whole song, just like a couple takes or whatever. And it, and it sounds like my vocals are kind of toast <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. but I like it. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm just going to leave it alone, you know? And yeah. I've been time to go back well i can tune now i could fit and i'm like no just let it leave be it what it is yeah leave it alone yeah yeah i mean you're emoting right i mean you're, you, you're you have something to say you're you, got, you give, you give a damn say. about those words right yeah. so it, it makes sense yeah. that's amazing that's really cool thanks man just so the listeners know you mixed it engineered it all yourself right you were mixing as well yeah. And that was like you, you saw in the early, I kind of for a year, I brought everyone into the process of sort of mixing and recording and, and some of it, some of the moments there. Um, yeah, that was really yeah, cool. All self-produced. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for the encouragement along the way. I appreciate that too. I know, I know for your sure. name, Evan. I know, I know it comes up in my DMs and. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, that's the great thing about the internet sometimes. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. So yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all self-recorded, produced and all that stuff. Mastered, mixed, mastered. 
Oh, cool. You mastered it as well. Rad. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a hard thing to do. It's a time commitment for sure. So that's really cool. Are there 10 tracks on the record or how many tracks? I have 11. 11. Cool. Yeah. The single comes out March 5th or whatever. On Friday. On Yeah. This, on this coming Friday. And then I'll probably release the second single two months later. I got a couple like alternate versions too of it. It's like a synth wave one. I was working with a friend and then, uh, 8-bit version i have my own version kind of sounds like imagine dragons almost i don't even know if i'll release it because i'm like how many versions do you want of one song <laughs> uh but, but i'll probably do, cool. you know, yeah so i'll have another single in a couple months and then and then i'll decide from there if i want to do another single or if i feel like it's the time to actually put out the album but i'm sitting on the album it's it's done so awesome. kind of working backwards cool just thinking about how you want to roll it out and promote it and everything yeah, see what makes sense, see how people are responding and, um, you know, how the connections are going and stuff like that. So because I'm I mean, I've been around forever in, in terms of the scene, but not a lot. of Not everyone knows that. Not everyone knows what I'm doing or that or even like newer fans. Right. Like people are I'm just I'm kind of a new band, you know, I'm yeah. an older guy, a newer band. It's like they're not going to have a context for a lot of, you know, homegrown or New Year's Day and stuff like that. It's just, oh, radical, radical. This guy's doing the sound. OK, so I need to find yeah. how I could reach them, too, you know. For sure. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Aaron Sprinkle. He's a producer. Yeah. Uh-huh. He did a bunch of tooth and nail stuff. I had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago and he's getting ready to release a new solo record and he's doing it independently. And so he's been acquiring emails and he's been putting out singles as like a lead magnet, like a company would for said emails. And then he can let them know directly what's going on when the record comes out, how they can get it, where they can get it. So maybe that's something you can explore. Just get a database of people that care because there's got to be so many people that would be jazzed to hear that you're making music that were big homegrown fans. I kind of mentioned it to uh -huh. all my friends and they're stoked. That's great. Really? That's great advice. Thanks, man. I have, I, yeah, I've actually sure. been, I've been happy about the email list is I I'm going to start sending out stuff. Like they're going to get first dibs on merch and stuff like that. Cause I'm doing really small runs on everything. And so I'm oh, going to so make sure that you already, I'm sorry, you already have a, you're doing an email list on your site and everything. But I like the way you said that. I, I even like there, there's something, Man, this could be too long of a conversation, but I've been I've been wrestling with, uh, you know, for me, the win is like making good connections, right? Like I, I have a job, I have a family, like I'm honestly, I'm happy. Like I'm, I'm, I have a lot to be thankful for and joyful for. So like I'm in a good place. So I don't need a zillion listeners, but that would be great. You know, that there'd be some affirmation in that certainly. But I've sure. been like taking down like, what if I just, what if I just had like, four or five thousand people who are all in mm -hmm. and i just took care of them like they're the it you know i'm not looking for like to get twenty thousand plays on this and that or whatever but then i'm just like hey i did this new music and stuff you get it it's like like it's emailed to your box or you have a certain link that's just hidden for you and like if i went that kind of business you know quotes business model route where i just said i'm just gonna just really connect with people and give them really amazing content and not make a big deal about the rest of everyone else. I've been thinking about that. I, and I don't, I'm not, I haven't landed. Okay. There's yeah. something, something really like um, alluring about that. Like even for what this project is to actually do something. So I, I don't know. I just, I don't know who's doing that. Maybe some people are already doing that really well. I just, I, you know, I'm kind of new to all the scene right now, but 
Dude, you should hit up Brian Key from Yellow Card because he's doing a Patreon for his music. Patreon's a good route, I would think. As far as being in direct contact with your fans, you create content specifically for them, but you also can release the album to the entire world, but maybe they get a couple remix versions or a couple acoustic versions and you throw them up on Patreon and to support you, you know, it's it could be anything, $5 a month to $35 a month or something if there's extra perks in there. You can customize the tiers. I would think you'd be able to get four or 5,000 people easily. I was literally telling Aaron as well, Kevin Kelly, he's the head editor of Wired Magazine. He wrote this short blog post a few years ago, and he talked about how to create a lasting company that's thriving, you just need a thousand true fans and they'll follow you anywhere. They'll be stoked about whatever you're doing. They'll support you. You just need a thousand true fans. So that's the first thing you shoot for. And I think that can be encouraging because there's got to be, I mean, just looking at the Spotify numbers of Homegrown, there's more than a thousand people listening each month. So yeah, you got them fans out there. I'm sure. Oh, let's see. Get, well, thanks for getting the word out, man. Cause I for need, sure. I can't do this without like you and just people helping spread the word or whatever, you know, there's yeah. only so much I can't do and there's only so much time I have. So like, so thank yeah. you. Yeah, I for appreciate- sure. My pleasure, man. You got to leverage that time. I want to be respectful of your time. Again, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I just have one more question. Absolutely. You mentioned on an Instagram story the other day, I think it was a few weeks ago, that I'm pretty sure it was morning. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm, I'm big on stories. I don't even know if it's the best way to do things, but I just love connecting in stories. But anyhow, go ahead. I digress. Dude, I think Instagram stories are great. It just, it gives us a view in, but you can curate it how you want to. You can promote. It seems to be the thing that people are toggling through these days, even more so than the feed because it has that video element to it. But I'm pretty sure it was early in the morning and you were out. It looked kind of like a sprawling scenery. There was hills and stuff. I think you were going out for a run, but you, you mentioned that you like to get out specifically. You like to get out in nature and breathe. And I liked that you said it helps you stay in the present moment and you mentioned some of the meditative benefits of getting outdoors and exercising has that been a big part of your life and has that helped you overcome some obstacles just being active and getting exercise yeah in fact i got involved my a friend of mine kind of when i was just starting to work my way out of the depression like starting to get a little bit of a foothold he invited me to there's these obstacle course races called spartan races Mm -hmm. and they basically they just take you through the ring where you can run you know, four miles, eight miles, 12, all the way up to, you know, marathon or whatever. And they just put in these gnarly obstacles and, you know, you're flipping tractor tires or hanging a bar. So anyhow, like it felt so not me because I wasn't a very active person. And I just kind of said yes to it because I, I just needed to shock the system. You know what I mean? You, I just needed to just do that. And so when I started like training and getting outdoors and running, Oh my gosh. Like uh, we are so connected, you know, our souls, our bodies, it's like, there's such a, you can't, you can't compartmentalize it all. It's all sort of functioning as one all the time. And when you feel good about like your health and your body and how you're, you're taking care of yourself and, and you're, and you're just enjoying just nature and beauty. I think that's one of the powerful things about being outside is that there's such beauty around you that you can actually be present. And you realize how unpresent you are all the time. And, and nature sort of exposes that, you know, when you just find yourself fascinated with some flower, the way the wind's blowing the trees, you're like, I'm never really present to moments like this. And I, I should be, 
like when I'm having a conversation with someone, how often am I thinking of the next thing I have to do or even the really cool event that's coming up or something, but it kind of stresses me out. So instead of the wonders of the event and all the prep and enjoying it and then the celebration of the big moment, you know, I would, I would generally be thinking, okay, well, when that's done, I get to rest. You know, I'm always like, I'm always, you know, working to rest instead of working from rest. And so if you can actually get out, you can actually be in a restful state and present with people and moments, conversations and events. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's the great fight, right? Especially now to actually be present because mm-hmm. everything's vying for your time and stressing you out. And it's like, get it, get outside. You know, it, it, it does help and exercising, right? So they say it's a keystone habit too. So if you can actually get a rhythm of exercising, it unlocks a lot of other habits that you want to take up that maybe have been difficult or whatever. It's just yeah. starts knowing other positive things in your life. If you can actually get an exercise. So it's, yeah, it was, it was a big part of that. So once I did the Spartan and stuff is like, I, I could do this, you know, like I, I want, I, I want to be that guy, but I've never been that guy. Darn it. I can be that guy. Like who said I can be the guy. I'm going to be that guy. So then all of a sudden now I'm doing Spartan races and you know, I, that's just a part of my lifestyle now. So. Dude, that's yeah. great. You're speaking my language. Cause you're talking identity. I was the same way. I had kind of a bit of a transformation and I was definitely experiencing anxiety, crippling anxiety. I was having panic attacks and I, oh, I took, I took medication for it for a few years and then it's always hindsight. I wish I would have started exercising back then. Not to knock the medication. I think it did its job. It cut the panic at the knees. But once I started exercising, it was like, oh, this is a game changer. This is something I need. This is something that's truly a necessity in my life just for overall mental health and mental well-being. Yes. And I love that you said it was was a keystone habit. I tell people that all the time. I love that phrasing of it. I'm not exactly sure who coined that term. I can't remember. Yeah. I think I read it in a book. It might've been Brian Tracy or something, but he wasn't even talking about exercise. He was just talking about habits and how one can influence another because when you start exercising, then invariably you want to hydrate. So you're drinking more water. Well, then you're tired. When you get home, you're, you're getting better sleep. You've got all these happy chemicals. So you actually, you've got these mood boosting chemicals that are making you a nicer person. And you've got a little bit more emotional space in between the things that happen and how you respond to those things. Yeah. Yeah. I love all the things you mentioned. It sounds like it was therapeutic in a way, like an, another source yep. of therapy. Yep. And yeah, I definitely think going outside and just getting all that new visual and audio stimulus, it does force us. It forces our attention to kind of stay present in the moment for a second. And you're right. Today, everything's vying for our attention left and right. So it, yeah, it's man. to stop and breathe and be present in the moment and enjoy the moment. Yeah, it's like today I took my, my three boys out hiking and we went and sat on the log and we just sat there and I said, just close your eyes. And I said, just, just listen, you know? And I said, what did you hear? Oh, I heard a crow and I heard, I heard the river, you know, the little Creek and stuff. And I said, you feel a lot more rest, a lot more peace. And they're, and they're like, yeah, I said, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. trying, I'm trying to teach them some of those things like, slow oh, yeah. down, slow down, you know? Yeah. It's a great lesson, man. It's good that you're teaching him that. I mean, geez, I wish I wish I had known those things when I was a little bit younger. You know, it probably would have helped me enjoy those moments a little bit more instead of being. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of kids, right? It's like it's I think we all do this like as parents, you like you, whatever you see that maybe you missed or whatever you you exert your energy to 
to make that right for them, right? So yeah. hopefully building upon those things and that, right, that takes discovery, meditation, introspection to actually mine out the reasons why or whatever, what led you to a certain place that wasn't totally right or whatever. And to go, okay, I understand this. Oh, I understand how this could be be a pitfall for my kids or how I can see where they're wired and where they're headed. And now I want to head that off and help them to really be who they are, you know, and, and not fall in the same things we did. And so that's the beauty, yeah. I think you know, discovery, this stuff, identity, all that, you know, it, it helps, it helps free other people too, you know, for sure. And it's just such a great example. I mean, you're setting a great example for your kids too. Cause I, you know, most of the time I'm trying to get my friends who have kids, I want them to be active so that their kids can see mom and dad really take their health seriously too, and make it a yeah. priority. And then hopefully that exposes them to think, oh, well, yeah, I, I need to make myself a priority too. And hopefully that subconscious thought latches on and serves yeah. them in their life. Well, but, it, yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. Dude, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again Bye. for doing this. I really appreciate it. Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug for the listeners? I know you just put up an official Spotify page. The single comes out this coming Friday, March 5th. Did you see the Spotify page? Can you actually see it? Let's look at it. I can pull it up right now. I saw it on Instagram. I'm wondering if it's like, can you pre-save? I would hope so. That's kind of the thing these days. That does a really good thing yeah. for the algorithm. I want to I wanna hit that hard this week, but I, was, I wasn't I was sure if it was actually up. I was having a little issues with uh, getting the stuff up on Spotify. A little, There's a little lag, which is a bummer, but it's I'm, I'm working with it. You know, it's crazy. There's definitely a lag with music, but with podcasts, there's no lag. It's the strangest thing. Whenever I upload a podcast, it's there like immediately. It's so bizarre. Mm. I don't see Radical Radical. Yeah. See, it's going to be hard to pre-save. I, I mean, I, I'm not really going to be able to pull that off, but I pitched the editorials already. I was able to do all that in time. And Yeah. I went ahead and searched Misfit Toys because that's the single that you're releasing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not pulling anything up, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, it's just, a, it is what it is. I have to do it, you know, hopefully it'll obviously when the single's out, then for the next one, I'll have the presence and it'll, it'll work, but. Absolutely. Yeah. You should be able to, the next one, have people pre-save it. Yes. Yeah. So you got to get the word out for me, Kyle. <laughs> I, I will. I do. I'm going to do my best. Trust me. You saw me telling all my friends on Instagram. The other thing too, is if you have a, a certain number of people pre-save, I'm pretty sure that alerts all the people that make the playlists. So it'd be great if, if you could get up on one of those playlists, Pop Punk's Not Dead, New Rock, Emo Pop, yep. whatever the Spotify curated playlists are and Apple playlists, get people to pre-save it. And then the algorithms start picking up for those playlists and things like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a I'll guy try. named Steven Newfeld. He plays for Craig's brother. He just put out some solo stuff. You might just message him. I can put you in contact with him if you need to, but he had a bunch of people pre-save one of his songs and then it showed up on one of the new punk tracks playlists. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Sure. Put me in contact with anyone you think would be helpful. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. He's a fan. I've seen him. He's commented on some of your stuff before. So okay. I'll just tell him to message you. About yeah, his experience. You. yeah, thank okay. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Awesome. Well, cool. And then what's the website? Radicalradical.net. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Easy. I love the name too, dude. It reminds me of the 80s. I say radical all the time and it's, I'm not going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, man. Well, dude, have a great night and have a good rest of your week. I guess it's Sunday, right? So have a good upcoming week. Have a good and upcoming week, yeah, thanks, man. Can't wait to hear the record, and I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. I'm All right, sounds good. Yeah, let's stay in touch, man. Okay, cool. All right, All right man. Take it easy. You know what I'm thinking, so give it up now. Just give it up now. Give it up. Whoa, whoa.
there you have it, friends. Wow. Adam from Homegrown. Wanted to get this podcast out a day early. Today is his birthday. So Adam, if you're listening, happy birthday. Thank you again for doing this. Really appreciate it. Homegrown is and has been an important band in my life in a long time. And man, this podcast, it's teaching me so much about myself and stretching me beyond how I thought it would. And it's making me a better listener. It's helping me establish connections and parallels with what I do with my life now and how I live my life now and how it resonates and connects to all the things that I used to do. And it's just been really fun doing this. I wanted to start leaving you guys with a PMA quote, just because a lot of the things that we talk about, the themes fall right in line with living life with intention and trying to do the best that we can. So the PMA quote of the day is from Henry Ford it's one of my favorite quotes and the quote goes whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right and i think that falls in line with what we were talking about at the end of that conversation so if you enjoyed listening to this i just want to say i'm grateful for you for listening hope you guys are having a wonderful day hope you guys are revisiting some classic homegrown tunes and definitely check out misfit toys by radical radical it's insanely good song i've been revisiting it this whole week it's been on repeat and i'll talk to you guys soon Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 